This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. For those of you that were here in the earlier session when I talked about this ancient prayer that is 2,500 years old, that is prayed three times a day. It's the prayer they were praying in the upper room when Messiah walked through the walls. It's the same prayer they were praying when Peter and John uh, told the man who was lame in his feet to rise. I have several hundred copies of the prayer, all 18 prayers uh, in the back at the information table. But those of you that Don't get one picked up. It's free on our website. You can just download it uh, from our website and print it out for yourself. This morning, or this evening, uh, it's morning in Seattle, uh, but this evening, I have two little things I'm going to cover, but basically what I want you to know, this morning I showed you how God is in the macro. You know, uh, he's bigger than the stars, the planets. Uh, He holds everything in the palm of his hand. Tonight, we're going to do the reversal. We're going to look at the micro. We're going to look at the Word of God underneath the microscope at the phenomenal detail that the Word of God has. So uh, let's begin with our first slide. Let's go ahead and put this up. In your Bible, in English, we say in the beginning, but in Hebrew, it's one word, brashit. Say brashit. Okay, this is the the B-R-A-S-H-I-T, brashit. It's one word. It means in the beginning. And this is the, uh, the first verse of your Bible where it says, In the beginning created Elohim, the heavens and the earth. Do you know you've been robbed of a Hebrew word? This word is not in your Bible in Genesis 1-1 in English. I don't know why they should have put it in there because this is highly significant. You know, in Greek we say the Alpha and Omega, but in Hebrew it's the Aleph and Tav. Right there is the Aleph and the Tav referring to God himself in the midst of that first verse. And I'm going to show you the significance of that tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I can show you the first and second comings of the Messiah in this verse. And that's what we're going to look at. But tonight, we're going to take a few moments and we're just going to talk about this one word, which means in the beginning. Now, the letter bait in Hebrew, I talked about this morning, means house. Okay? House. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, it looks like a house. It has the, the, the roof and the back wall and the, the foundation where you come into the house. And so, why did the, the Jewish scholars say, they detail everything. They look at every letter. They look at every word. They, they don't just go real quickly over the Bible. For, they've been studying this for over 3,500 years, and they want to look. They, how many of you know when God does something, he does it in, with majesty, with magnificent, with excellence? So they want to know, why did God begin the Bible with the letter B or the letter bait? If you'll notice, it's so much bigger than the other letters as well. Do you see that? As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, there are words that are intentionally misspelled, but they're spelled correctly in English. We should have misspelled it because God intentionally had it misspelled. We're going to be talking about that tomorrow. But in the Hebrew, there are letters that are upside down, that are backwards, that are small, that are real big, that are missing, that are added. And so there's so much that uh, we can learn when we understand the Hebrew language. But they say the reason why God began with the letter bait, which means house, is because they say the Bible is really the whole story how God wants to build a house and have a family and marry a bride and have children. And so we see here the, the shape of the house 
And we see bait is more than house. Bait actually means home. God wants to build a home. He wants to have a family. And so this is why from uh, this one, it's, let me try it again. There we go. And so we see, and since Breshit means in the beginning, we see in our Bible, in the beginning, it's always been God's plan to build a home by taking a bride and bringing forth his children. Isn't that incredible when you think of it this way? Now, in Colossians, you can write this verse down. You don't need to, don't try to look at my verses up because I talk too fast, as many of you know from this morning. But I want you to think of Colossians 1, 15 through 18, where it talks about Yeshua or Jesus being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And it says, by him were all things created that are in heaven, on earth, the visible, invisible, regardless of what they are. And it says, he is the head of the body, the assembly, who is the beginning. Yeshua is the beginning. Say, Yeshua is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead that he might have all things in preeminence, that he is the preeminent one. Now, in Isaiah 46.10, it says God declared the end from the beginning. From the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. How many of you know God's going to do all his pleasure? He's so smart, he can declare the end from the beginning. My whole goal tonight is to show you how smart your dad is. That's my goal. I'm going to keep it simple. But what's so profound is how God's message comes in such simplicity. Remember, Yeshua is the beginning, right? And God declared the end from the beginning. And here's the word that means the beginning. Get a load of this. The bait, the letter B in Hebrew is the word in. And it's one word. Reshit means the beginning. And Yeshua is what? The beginning. And so do you know in Judaism, one of the names of the Messiah is Rashid. Because the Messiah is the beginning. Now, when you add the letter bait, you have the word, the Breshit now, okay, which means in the beginning. But it also refers to the Messiah, as it says in Colossians. Now, in Revelation, are you familiar with the fact that it says that uh, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world? Does everyone know that verse? I told you this morning that meant it was all planned out from the beginning. And this is in the beginning. So we should find prophetically that Messiah was going to die in this word. Are you following me? He is the beginning. God declared the end from the beginning. He was slain from the foundation of the world. You can't get more foundational than the first word of the Bible. I want you to notice something. How many of you have ever heard of Rosh Hashanah? You ever heard of the Feast of Trumpets? Rosh Hashanah is the first of Tishri. Rosh means head. Okay, that's what Rosh means. It means head in Hebrew. Well, guess what? The word sheet is thorns. So here in the very beginning, we see the Messiah upon his head as a crown of thorns. Go ahead and hit the little movie button there. Hopefully that one will work. There's a little, uh, yeah, hit that little play button right there. Yeah, hit that. Click on it. Yeshua is the cornerstone. Hopefully this one works. 
If not, it's okay, we'll move on. If it's not working. Okay, it's not working. But anyway, let's go just go to the next clip then. How many of you know that Yeshua is the cornerstone? Okay, there's that first word, Breshit, and Yeshua is the cornerstone. So let's take a look at the Bible. We know from Isaiah 28, 16, that God says, so says the Lord Jehovah, I'm going to place in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. How many of you know that refers to Jesus, Yeshua? Okay, so let's take a look. And if you'll notice, this is the first word of the Bible in the beginning, Breshit. But notice these three letters here, the B-R-A. The second word of the Bible is B-R-A, which means created. So we're going to look at how Yeshua is the one who created all things. Now, as I told you, the very first letter of the Bible is a bait, which means a home or a house. Well, one thing we know Many times people hide the key to their house at the entrance of the house. And so let's take a look and let's move the rock. The rock's not moving. Click over there. Maybe I'm got to get over here. There. There's a rock that's hidden there. Okay. So what we're going to do, I want you to realize the key to the light of the Torah is found in the beginning. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 119.30, it says the entrance of your word gives light. The entrance of your word gives light. And what was the first thing God said? Let there be light. And so what do we find? The entrance of his words brings light. That's why light had to be the first part of creation. Now, bait is house. So what we're going to do now... We're going to take, I'm going to give you the key to unlock Genesis 1-1, the first word. And so let's go take a look here. Oop, let me go back. And you can write these verses down. But I want you to notice, as I said, I'm going to enter, well, you're going to see another word here. This is bar. How many ever heard of bar mitzvah? Bar means son. In Daniel 3.25 the word bar is son. Well, guess what? In Genesis 41, 49, that same word also means grain. And remember the Lord said, unless a grain of wheat fallen in the ground and die, it remains alone. Okay. So now let's take a look at something. Bara, as I told you, is the second word of the Bible. And it means created. So what do we see in these first three letters? You have... The son created. But look at this. See this letter Aleph? Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it represents God because it's not only that which is first, it's the first letter of God's name, Elohim, Adonai. So when I look at this first word of the Bible that says in the beginning, I also see it was the son of God is the one who created all things, as it says in Colossians. Now, let's go on. Let's go to the next clip. Rosh, as I said, means head. And that, in Genesis 49, 26, you see the, the word Rosh. This is like the R-O-S-H, means head. And Ephesians 1, what do we know? That Messiah is also the head of the church. Now, when you take the, this letter Yud and make it red, in Hebrew, this becomes my head. 
And then what do we find? As I told you, in Isaiah, it's in chapter 10, 17, you see the word for thorns is the shin yutav. And then what do we find? The word brosh in 2 Kings 9, 23 means tree. So let's, when you add the yud again, it becomes my tree in red. Now, as I told you, the letter Aleph stands for God. And what do we see? We see the Son of God who created all things upon his head, a crown of thorns. And now he is hung upon a tree. And the Aleph, representing God, is the one who is hanging on the tree. In Psalm 68, 29... The shin yud is shy and it means gift. And we know the father so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. And we know Yeshua freely gave his life. Now what's amazing is if you look at this, the bar is son. So this is also telling us from the beginning, this was the son's gift to you. Brit, the B-R-I-T in Hebrew, is covenant. It's the word for covenant, Brit, in Genesis 17, when God makes his covenant with Abraham. But look at this. The bar is son. The yud, as I told you, means hand. And the ancient tab was a cross. So here we see the son's hand is nailed to the cross. And so we also see when you attach the red to the bar, it becomes, this is my son's cross that he has to bear. Bait in Hebrew means house. In 2 Samuel 7, 25, the house of God is being built and the Hebrew word for bait is house. So every letter is a word. There's the letter bait and the word bait. In Hebrew, if you have a four letter word, you have four words within the word. So right here, bait is, and how many know, God says, my house is to be a house of prayer. When he's talking about a house, he's talking about his house. And then what else do we find? Okay, ash in the middle is the word for fire. And it's not God's word like a fire. Jeremiah 23, 29. Now, in Deuteronomy 33, 2, it talks about as they're sitting at Mount Sinai at the base, how God says is not, you know, uh, from uh, his right hand, it says, came a fiery law. Well, what do we know? Here's fire and here's the son's hand comes the fiery law, the Torah, the covenant. It's the son's hand that handed the Torah to them. Now, we got to remember again, when you add the letter U, it becomes my and Aish is fire. And so here we see the word, my fire. And how many of us know only God's fire is allowed in his house? Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two sons offered strange fire. And they were crispy critters. So what else do we see? Reshit is the Messiah. And it means first fruits in Leviticus 23.10. We see the word Reshit, which is the Messiah's name, which also means he's the first fruits of the resurrection. 
Because Reshit also means not only the beginning, it means the first fruits. And in 2 Corinthians 15, 23, we see Messiah was the first fruits of the resurrection. So what do we see in this uh, word also? Eshet is wife. And so when you add the you to this, this becomes my son's wife. This is what he's wanted from the beginning. And so what do we see in this one word, Breshit? We have the son of God created all things, has a crown of thorns upon his head, hung upon a tree, becoming the grain of the first fruits offering in the temple, his house from the fire that falls from heaven. And this was his covenantal gift for his wife. God planted the end or planned the end from the beginning. I mean, this is, to me, it's like when all the fireworks go off. When I see this and I, and I say, God, oh my gosh, all you can do is say glory, holy, 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 you know. Okay, so now we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to go to a Hebrew word, peace. How many of you have heard of shalom? Shalom, but it means more than just peace. And how many of you know in the last days there's going to be a false peace? How do you know a true peace from a false peace? What's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? A peacekeeper just tries to keep two people from killing each other. A peacemaker resolves the problem so he can get out of the way and they love each other. Well, God, how do we find peace is by looking at the ancient biblical Hebrew of what the word shalom meant. Because God designed the word shalom. And you're going to find it amazing. The very first letter, the shin. How many of you have heard of the shin before? Okay. In the ancient Hebrew, it was drawn like our W, but it, it was fangs. It means teeth and it means to destroy. So in the Bible, the word shalom begins with destruction. To destroy, to devour, to consume. So think of fangs. When you see the letter shin, God is a consuming fire. He can, he'll destroy things. And then we have what is next, the second letter, the L, which is the Lamed. And the Lamed was a shepherd's staff, like he's about to pull a sheep out of the ditch. And because it's a shepherd's staff, it represents control or authority. So here, again, you have four words within one word. In the word for biblical peace, we find destroying authority. Let's go on. The next letter is the bob, and the bob, you can see it even looks like a nail. It also uh, looks like a hook, and it's in English, we have the word and. It's a conjunction, this and that. Well, the bob works as a conjunction. It's a nail, and it's attaching things together. It means to be connected to. Well, then what do we find? The third letter, and the final letter is the mem, and you can kind of see in the blue, it's it's. Uh, water. Mayim in Hebrew is water. But the letter Mem symbolizes not calm waters, but chaos, like a hurricane or a tsunami that's going to destroy things. So what do we find when we understand the word for biblical peace? Biblical peace comes when you destroy the authority that's connected to the chaos. 
Biblical peace is not being a pacifist and letting people walk all over you. It's destroying those things too that are bringing chaos in your life. And too often we don't destroy the things that are bringing chaos in our life. We cover them up. We don't want to handle it. We don't want to face it. God is saying if you want peace in your life, you need to destroy those things that are bringing the chaos. That is biblical peace. Okay, let's go on. Now, how many of you know that God's word is compared to water? Okay? Well, here's the thing. Some of us, when it comes to God's word, want to stay in the boat. We're on the water, and we're happy with being on the water. But God says, get out of the water. Dip your feet in. So some of us, we'll just swim in the water. We really think we're doing good. But then other people say, heck no, I want to go snorkeling. And then still others will say, forget that, I'm going to go deeper. I want to go scuba diving. And so think of, we're all in the water, but we're all at different places in the water. And we have to decide where we want, how deep we want to go. So let me show you this. Who knows what this is? Snowflake. Aren't they gorgeous? How can you not believe in a creator when you see the design in a snowflake? And there, do you know, no snowflake is alike. Billions and trillions of snowflakes, and none of them are alike. Well, that's what we're going to do now. Like I said, we're going to go diving into the deep part of God's word like we just have a little bit. Well, now we're going to go even deeper. Get on your scuba gear. Okay. I, I really believe that the Hebrew alphabet is the DNA of creation. I might talk about that more tomorrow. But God created the world by what? Speaking. And speech is made up of words. And words are made up of letters. And if you remember, when Paul got knocked off his high horse, he heard an angel from heaven speaking in the Hebrew tongue. Hebrew is the language of heaven. Okay, and this is why it's so fun to learn it. Well, everything that was created, I believe, like what's, water is H2O, right? That really defines water. Well, it's the same thing. In Hebrew, every letter is also a number. So you really can use, the closest language to Hebrew is the chemical language. Because it tells you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I wasn't going to do this, but tomorrow I'm going to show you how you, your DNA is all in the Bible in Hebrew. It's incredible, but we'll show you that tomorrow. Okay, now, uh, Bonnie and, Pastor Bonnie and Pastor Tom, they made uh, this one little sheet that has the whole Hebrew alphabet on it with how Moses wrote those letters and how David wrote those letters. And tomorrow morning when I teach, I'm going to focus on the Gospels and the Hebrew language. And uh, so... Uh, make sure tomorrow when you come, you pick up one of the little Hebrew alphabet sheets so you will have that. Uh, but anyway, here's the uh, Hebrew alphabet. And I have it wrapping around from the Aleph to Tav. And there's only 22 letters. I'll, I'll give you the quick phonetic equivalent. This would be like our A, B, the letter G, D, H. Uh, this is the V or W, Z. This is the C-H sound like in Bach. Uh, this is a T. This is uh, Y. The letter K, and look at L, M, N. Uh, this is S. This is a silent letter. The letter P. This is the TZ sound like in nuts. Uh, this is a K sound also, the kuf, the resh, the shin, and the tav 
or the R-S-H-N-T. Now, you might wonder, how come there's two T's, the tet and the tob? Why do we need two different T sounds? Why do we need two different S sounds? Because the shin and the samek also both make the S sound, but this also makes the S-H sound. And there's a couple of K's. Why are there K's? The reason why is they have different numerical values. And there's great significance in the Bible to the numerical values. Okay, so uh, let me show you something here. Here's the 22 letters. That's what they are. But every letter is also a number. So they have different place values, but they also have different numerical values. But tonight, I want to focus on just one letter. So don't think you have to learn all this. You probably already got it memorized. But my point is not to, I just want to introduce you. I, I want to give the overall picture and then the small picture. This is the letter Samek, which makes the S sound. And you notice it's the 15th letter. Okay? Well, here's the numeric values. Just like in uh, Latin, the letter V is a 5 and the X is a 10. Well, it's the same thing in Hebrew. These, this is numbers 1 through 10. And then it goes by 10s, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and then the 100s. So the letter Samek has a place value of being the 15th letter and a numerical value of being 60. Okay, so everybody say Samek. That's what we're going to look at today. Samek. Now there's the letter Samek and the word Samek, which is, you can hear the S, the M, and the K. That's the final K. So that's the letter Samek. That's the word Samek. And if you remember, every letter is a word. And so what does the word Samek mean? The word Samek means to support. Okay, but let's go, let's remember this. Samek is a place value of 15 and a numerical value of 60. Does everyone, can you remember that? That's all you need to remember. All right. It means to support. And so we find in Leviticus 16, 21, it talks about Aaron, the priest, is to lay his hands on the head of the goat. Well, the word lay there is psalmic. He's not to just stand and lay his hands on the goat. He has to lean on the goat so if the goat or sheep moved, he'd fall. And the concept of the priest doing that is because he wants to invest his identity into the lamb or to the goat. That's what it talks about laying your hands on people and praying for them. This comes from this where they would lay their hands on the goat. But the goat is the lamb or the goat is to support the priest. And who is the lamb of God that's supporting the priests? Okay. Well, there's the lamb he's leaning on. Okay. Now let's go back to the shin for a minute. See the shin on this right here? And the dollar and the U. This is the word Shaddai. How many of you ever seen a mezuzah? Okay, a mezuzah is what the Jewish people put on their doorpost because the Hebrew word mezuzah means doorpost. And God said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and you're to teach your children and you're to put it on the doorpost of your house. So within this little case is a Torah, miniature Torah scroll with the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what's in this mezuzah. And there's that letter Shin for Shaddai because Shin is the first letter of El Shaddai, Shaddai. All right, there it is. But again, it used to look like this because it means to consume and destroy. And God is a consuming fire. Now, this is why the priests, when they would bless people, they would form the W. What he's doing by raising his hands like that, he's forming the W of the first letter, Shaddai. Because when God says, how many of you are familiar with the prayer number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. You guys familiar with that prayer? Okay, 
Well, he said at the end, he says, and I will, not only will I bless them, I will place my name on them. So what's happening, the priest is forming the first letter of God's name that it's going to be placed upon the people. How many of you want God's name placed on you? Okay, this is significant. Okay, so here's the prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And what's amazing about this prayer is, first off, the priest is not doing the blessing. The priest is just like the garden hose that the water's flowing through. Because notice, it's the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The priest is just saying it. Okay, but he's not the one that's doing the blessing. The other thing in Hebrew, you don't see this in English. You only see it in Hebrew. Whenever this prayer is said over the congregation, there could be 100,000 people at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And uh, the priests would come even to this day, especially on the festivals like Passover and Tabernacles. There'd be a whole bunch of sons of Aaron in Israel, and they will all form their priestly blessing hand, and they will say this prayer, but everybody has to stand for this prayer. Everybody stands for this blessing. And the word you here is in the singular. It's not in the plural. So even though there may be 100,000 people there, when the priest says the Lord bless you, you're to receive it as an individual. Now, there's more. I want to read this verse to you. This is from, um, let me, you can write this verse down. This is from Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 and 2. It says, it's going to come to pass if you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God and you observe to do all of his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord God is going to set you on high above all the nations of the earth. How many of you want Zimbabwe to be set high above all the nations of the earth? Okay. And then it says these blessings are going to come on you. And then it says they're going to overtake you if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God. This is saying the blessings of God are to be like a tsunami wave of blessing. How many of you would like to have the blessing of God knock you over? You get up and a bigger blessing of God comes and knocks you over. And you get up and a bigger blessing of God comes and knocks you over. I'm going to show you in the Hebrew... In this prayer, that's what God is showing us. There's three different lines. There's three different blessings. And I want you to notice something. Notice, if we can get this. There are three words on the first line. Ivarekaka Adonai Vaishmareka. Then, there are five words in the next line. Ya'er Adonai Panavileka Vichneka. You got that? Then there are seven on the next line. Yisa Adonai Panavileka Vihuneka Vyasem Laka Shalom. Okay, so notice there are 15 letters in the first line, 20 letters in the next line, 25 letters in the next line. Do you see the progression of the tsunami wave as each blessing is more intense? Now, here's the thing. Let's go back to the letter Samek, which means support, and God wants to support us. It has a place value of what? 15. And an numerical value of what? 60. And in this blessing, we have 15 words and 60 letters for letter Samek. 
God wants to support you. He wants to be there for you. Now remember the priest raises his hands to form the letter Shin. You may already know this, but did you know in the arm there are 27 bones in the hand? There are three arm bones for a total of 30 bones. When he raises his two hands, you have Samek in the number of bones even as he is blessing you and putting his name upon you. I mean, you can give a shout out to your dad. He's pretty cool. And there's more. Okay. Now, here comes the shock and awe. If you thought that was before. And this is on uh, one of the cards I saw that Pastor Bonnie made. Uh, There's the Hebrew word baraka. Okay, and Barak. Barak means to bless. And I believe Pastor Tom talked about the Valley of Baraka, which is where the, the blessing was when they got the spoils. That's that word, Baraka. It means Barak is to bless, and Baraka is a blessing. And so when we look at this prayer, okay, the word bless means to kneel, okay? Now, listen to this Bible verse. You can write this down. First Chronicles 29.20. David says to all the congregation, let's now bless the Lord your God. And the Hebrew word bless is Barak. And all the congregation, what did they do? They blessed the Lord God of their fathers. They bowed down their heads. So the Hebrew word for bless, Barak, literally means to kneel. And listen to Psalms 95.6. David says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's the same Hebrew word, Barak. So here it's translated as to kneel. But on the other verse, it's to bless. Now, a baraka or a blessing means to come on bended knee bearing gifts. So it's like the magi, when they came to baby Jesus, here they are on bended knee bringing him gifts. So when we want to bless the Lord, what do we do? He is standing there, and we come to him on bended knee, and we want to give him the gift of our life. You following me? Now, do you remember that word bracha means bringing a gift to another on bended knee? And remember I said that everyone has to stand when this prayer is said? Okay. And remember the word you means you singular, not you plural? When everyone is standing there and the priest begins with the Lord bless you. That means the creator of the universe wants to come to you on bended knee while you're standing there and give you a gift. Can you help think of Peter going, don't wash my feet, don't wash my feet. And now the creator of the universe says, I want to bless you. I want to come to you on bended knee and give you a gift and put my name on you. Wow. And guess what Yeshua did? He came on bended knee to bring you eternal life. The greatest gift he could give you because he loved you so much. Now, 
I'm going to go through each line of this. It begins, the Lord bless you. And then the next line of the first verse is, he also wants to keep you. Well, what does the word keep mean? Does he want to keep you in his pocket? No. The word keep in the ancient Hebrew is shamar, and it means to surround with thorns. At night, when the shepherd wanted to protect the sheep from all the predators, he would put a corral of thorns around him. So God is telling you as an individual, not only do I want to come to you on bended knee, but I want to protect you from every predator in your life. He says, I am going to bless you, and I'm going to put a hedge of protection around you. That's the first tsunami wave. Okay, now what's the next one? May the Lord's face shine upon you. Okay, what does it mean for the Lord's face to shine upon you? Well, uh, in Genesis 1, 16 and 17, where it talks about God making the two great lights, the sun and the moon... It says uh, he gave to give light upon the earth. Well, that word light there is the same Hebrew word for his face to shine on you. What that means is God wants to look at you eyeball to eyeball. He, he wants to have his face looking right upon you. When you come into his presence, all too often we want to look down. We've been bad. And God is saying, lift up your chin, child. I want to look at you eyeball to eyeball. I mean, how many of us would want to have God hide his face from us? I mean, that would be scary if God hid his face from us. Oh my gosh. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 17 and 18, God says, my anger will be kindled against them in that day when they've disobeyed me. I will forsake them. And then God says, I will hide my face from them. And they're going to be devoured. Many evils and troubles will befall them. They'll, be, they'll say in that day, or not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And then God says, I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils. It's like God says, I can't look. I just can't look at all the evil that's going to befall them because of their disobedience. Well, then the next phrase of this is, I want my face to shine upon you. Okay, let's go to the next one. And it says, and be gracious to you. What does the phrase be gracious to you mean? You know, we are talking about going from grace to grace. But do you realize there's three different Hebrew words for grace? And we say grace to grace. We don't realize there's different levels of grace. You go from one level of grace to the next level of grace to the next level of grace. There's three Hebrew words that are translated as loving kindness and mercy and grace. And it's different levels. So what does that word mean? I like to give the example of an orphanage. Let's say you go to an orphanage and there's, let's say there's 100 kids and there's good kids and there's bad kids and there's uh, one really mean kid, but you bring 100 cookies for everybody. Just like God, the first level of mercy is chesed. If you want to write it in English, it'd be like C-H-E-S-E-D, chesed. And that God puts on everybody, the good and the bad. The rain falls on the good and the bad. The sun falls on the good and the bad. Everyone, good and bad, gets to experience God's grace, his chesed, okay? When it comes to like the sun and the rains and this kind of thing. Okay, but then the next level of mercy is not chesed. The next level is chanan. And chanan means to get personally involved in someone's life to help them with their problems. So when God says he wants to be gracious unto you, he's saying, look, Even when you've been bad, I will get personally involved in your life. 
That's what Canaan means. And so in the orphanage setting, it's like not only do you give cookies to everybody, but the meanest kid of the bunch is too short and can't reach the cookie jar, and he's crying out for a cookie. And you go ahead and you pick him up and you make sure he gets a cookie. That's Canaan. But then there's another level of mercy that even goes deeper, and it's rakam. And the Hebrew word rakam also can be translated as a mother's womb. You can't get much closer or more merciful than the child in the womb. And so what do we see happening here? Go back to the orphanage story. You know, in the New Testament, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We go, woo, he's tough. No, it's bad English translations. These are different Hebrew words because he's quoting the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, where he's quoting that, there's different Hebrew words. Okay, and what God is saying is this. Let's go back to the orphanage story. You give chesed and you get everybody a cookie. You're even more merciful. You get kanan and you get personally involved even in the bad person's life to make sure they get a cookie. But now, Rakam is, I'm going to adopt you and bring you home. You're mine. And so when God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, what he's saying is this. He says, look, I am gracious to the wicked. I'm gracious to everybody, good and bad. I'm gracious to the wicked, but I decide who I'm taking home. How many of you want to be taken home by the Lord? Maybe not tonight, but uh, no. <clears throat> you know, in, Psalm, uh, yeah, in Psalms 31.9, David calls out, have mercy on me. He's not saying have chesed on me. He's saying, God, I know I've been bad, but please have mercy on me. And what do we find in Romans 5.8? That God commended his love toward us that while we were yet, what? Sinners, he died for us. That's Canaan. Now, so we've just gone from the Lord bless you and keep you. He wants to come to you on bended knee and give you a gift. He wants to protect you from all predators. He wants to look at you eyeball to eyeball when you come in his presence. And guess what? Even if you've been bad, he says, I'm, I'm going to get involved in your life. And now the third tsunami wave of blessing, the final wave of blessing, is the Lord wants to lift his countenance upon you. How does he lift his countenance upon you? What is the difference between his face shining on you and him lifting his countenance upon you? Okay, well, one way to look at something, the definition, is to look at the opposite. The opposite is to scowl, to frown. Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why has your countenance fallen? All right. In Jeremiah 3.12, it says, Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return, you backsliding Israel, says the Lord, and I will not cause my face to fall upon you. And so what God is saying, when he wants to lift his countenance upon you, he's saying, when you come in, I want a big smile on my face. There's my kid. Not only does he want to look at you eyeball to eyeball, Not only does he want to get involved in your life, even if you've been bad, he's saying, when you come into my presence, I want the biggest smile on my face. I mean, this is incredible. But now the other thing is this. God, you're up here. I'm clear down here. And you saw this morning how far apart the planets are and the stars are and God's so far away. How does the God who is so up there as our daddy 
lift his countenance upon us when he's looking down at us. Well, I'll tell you how. Because he's picking you up and he's looking up at you and smiling at you and how wonderful you are as his child. That's how he's lifting his countenance upon you. And then it closes with, and give you peace, okay, or shalom. And this peace is not your normal peace. It's not only outside peace, but it's internal peace. This is why in Philippians 4, 7, it says, May the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Messiah Yeshua. Now, there's just a quick couple more things. How many of you, now, this is a blessing. God says, I want to bless my people. So he says, Moses, tell Aaron, here's how I want you to bless my people. I want you to say this prayer over them. And in so doing, not only will I bless them, I'm going to put my name on them. You know what this is telling us? This is telling us that it is important to give a verbal blessing over the kids. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you, every week or Friday night, had your parents come and lay their hands on you? Not like this. But like this, this is something the church has lost and forgotten. The parents coming and blessing the children, blessing each other. It is so important we speak verbal blessings over our families. And it all started with Jacob and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now let me ask you something. How many of you know what what Manasseh, Manasseh was his firstborn. What does Manasseh's name mean? I'll tell you what it means. It tells you in your Bible. But Joseph had suffered so much pain from his own family, rejecting him, throwing him in a pit, selling him to Egypt. He had suffered so much trauma, he named his firstborn son, forget it. That's what Manasseh's name means, forget it. How would you like to have your name be forget it? Hi, I'm forget it. He wanted to forget the pain of his past. He had suffered so much pain. But then we turned around his second born Ephraim. His name means to be doubly successful, doubly fruitful. Because he said, God has made me fruitful and successful in the land of my affliction. Now let me ask you something. How many of you know when trauma has happened in your life, often we can't go forward? There are people who are 50 years old that still are like an 10-year-old or an 18-year-old. All of us can suffer trauma in our life and we just can't go forward. We can't get over the pain. The pain is right before us. We can't get over the pain. Well, I'll tell you what. How come statistically the nation of Israel, I can tell you as a people group, has suffered more trauma than any other people group over the last 4,000 years. Yet how come they're so successful? And they're like 1% of the population and yet 30 or 40% of the Nobel Peace Prizes or Nobel Prizes. You want to know why? It's because Jacob crossed his hands. And it's because they blessed their children every Friday night. And he doesn't say, may you be like Manasseh and Ephraim. But he says, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Putting Ephraim first, what he is saying, may you now be so fruitful you can forget the pain of your past. And I believe that is what God is telling to Zimbabwe. And I believe God is going to make you guys so fruitful. 
Okay, too often we think, how come we don't have the fast lane? How come we're just chopping our way through the forest all the time? How come we can't go forward? I tell you what, if you start blessing your families, blessing each other, you're going to see everything open up like you've never seen before. In the book of Luke, the last thing Yeshua did before he ascended into heaven, you go and look, it says they were all standing there and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. This is what he did. He lifted up his hands and he prayed the priestly blessing over his disciples was the last thing he did before he ascended. And imagine, usually, and he's not a Levitical priest. He's the Melchizedek priest. Okay? Whenever the priest would raise their hand to do the priestly blessing, everyone standing would immediately look down because the power of God is coming through their hands, putting his name upon them. So when Yeshua raises up his hands to bless them, they see the nailed hands. And the first thing they do is look down and they see his nailed feet. And while they're looking at his nailed feet, he starts to ascend. And you can just see their shock as they see him go. So what I want to do now in closing, I want you to stand and I want to say this prayer over you in Hebrew. And then in English. And I want you to know right now the creator of the universe, your dad, wants to come to you on bended knee. And give you a gift. He wants to protect you from all the predators in your life. He wants to look at you eyeball to eyeball. And even if you've been bad, guess what? You deserve the blessing. That's Canaan. It doesn't matter. And he wants to smile upon you. And he wants to give you the peace that you need so you can go forward and overcome the pain of your past. This is what he said. Ivarekaka Adonai Vaishmareka Yaer Adonai Panavileka Vichuneka Yisa Adonai Panavileka Vyasem Laka Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his shalom, and that wonderful name above all names, Eyeh Asher Eyeh. Amen. You go in peace. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.